We are kicking off here on Sunday mornings with the sermon series, uh, our, our new series called Making Room. And we are beginning a journey together. It's a spiritual growth journey. It's a faith journey. And I believe, if you're open to it, it's a journey to some miracles in each of your lives. So, anybody want that? Okay, a few of you. Good. You're going to have some. Okay? But it's, uh, it's, we're going to see how God, how God does some of those things. So today, we're going to give you a roadmap uh, of, with some foundational guiding principles of what it takes to get from here to there. Now, it, many of you this past year, you took a trip somewhere. Some of you are planning a trip already for the summer or whatever it is. And if you, especially if you're not quite sure of your destination... Or if you're like me and you know where you're going, but you just like to follow along a GPS, right? Uh, you, you put in your address, you want to put in where you want to go, and it faithfully, every time, takes you right where exactly you want to be. Oh, not. Okay, I, I agree. And, uh, but this, is, this one here is much better than that. What we're going to share with you today will, because it's based on God's Word, it will uh, help us to get exactly to be where God wants us to be. So here's the thing. If you don't get these things right, what we're going to talk about, uh, and follow them faithfully and routinely in the way you make decisions, then what's going to happen is you will most likely end up in life somewhere where you're not either quite sure where you are or it's like, well, I don't want to be here. How did I get here? Kind of a thing. But not only that, you will most likely miss out on some of God's amazing blessings for your life. Okay, so what, what I want to give you today is, is like a spiritual biblical GPS, especially for the next two months and the decisions that we are all going to process together about how God wants us to participate in what's happening. We're in a, we just are at the beginning stages of a, of a capital campaign. If you're new here, uh, in the next year and a half, hopefully not quite two years, we hopefully will have a new facility, a new auditorium in the front here. We'll have a new lobby where the, our patio is. We'll have that all covered. It'll become a lobby, uh, uh, fellowship space, and then we'll have this room available to use for a lot of other variety of activities, including for our youth and other things like Saturday night, we're going to have a big meal here. We don't have to worry about tearing things down and setting them up. So that's, that's our plan. Let's start with this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This has been a guiding verse for me for a long time. Since I've been in my early 20s, someone shared it with me. When we as a family were going through a very, very difficult time trying to figure out, God, why this, why that? And it has been there ever since. So I'm going to share it with you. It's from the uh, contemporary English version. And it says this. With all your heart, you must trust in the Lord and not your own judgment. Now let's stop there for a moment. Notice what it says that you're to do with your heart. You're to trust in the Lord with all your heart. It does not say that you need to make decisions based on your heart. You ever hear someone say, well, I'm just following my heart. Don't. 
Your heart will often get you into trouble. You need to follow the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on don't trust in your own understanding. That gets you in trouble a lot of times. Then it says this, always let him lead you and he will clear the road for you to follow. So in other words, what we're going to talk about today in this whole series is simply letting God lead you to where he wants you to go and to do what he wants you to do. Now here's a, here's a truth that we all need to hang on to. This has really revealed to me some very powerful things, and it's this. The road map, or the road, the road that you will go on as you follow God and, and you end up where he wants you to go, this road will take you through many pathways like adversity, through difficult times. It'll be a lot of risk involved. It'll be sacrifice. It will be a lot of uncertainty and lots of unknowns. I, I've just learned this. And this, every, every person who has followed God and, and done what he says to do will tell you this. Whenever you follow God, it, it's never going to be without struggles and challenges along the way. So just know this as we go through this. So let's look at eight principles, okay? There are eight quick ones. Principles of what it means for us to follow God and to do what he's called us to do. And the first one is this, write this in your notes. The first foundational principle from God's word is that God owns everything, that I have. He owns everything that I have. Okay, not just the things I have, but here's the thing. God created everything. He owns everything. Everything is God's. Everything that we have. It says this in Psalm 24 and many other verses that are just like it. I picked this one. And it says, the earth is the Lord, Lord's and everything in it the world and all its people belong to him. Now, here's the thing. What, what, is, what does everything and all mean? What does that cover? Everything and all. Okay, so there, there's nothing. In other words, there is nothing that you have. There's nothing on this planet. There's nothing in this world that God doesn't own. Very, very important principle. And then it gets a little more specific in Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So it gets a little more, it tunes in a little bit. Even the money, the gold and silver, your money, your resources, it might have your name on it in the bank. But whose is it? It's God's. Everything is God's. Very important. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. I earned that money. I mean, I got up early. I went to work every day. I invested in, in this business or, you know, and, and I use my hands and I use my skill and I use my intellect. I use my education and that's really mine. Well, who gave you the ability? Who gave you the opportunities? Whose stuff is it you use to get your money? Answer, God's. It's all God's. 
It may have your name on it, but it's still God's. Very, very important. Goes to number two. It's all God's and everything that I have is on loan from God. Even though it's in your possession, it, it, it is on loan from God. It's all his, but he loans it to me while I'm alive on this earth. Whether it's my talents, my gifts, my skills, my opportunities, my stuff, my relationships, the people in my life, your friends, your family, I mean, your money, on down the line, everything you have is God's, and then he loans it to you while you're alive here on this earth. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 16. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you are not faithful with other people's things, that includes God's, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? So, not only is everything that I own, that I have in my possession, God's, but he also expects me to use it well and to use it wisely. He wants me to be what we call, he wants me to take care of it, but to be a good steward of this. Now, there's a Bible word that we use, it's called stewardship. We don't very often use it in our everyday English language. You know, you know I, I bet in the last year you have not used the word stewardship at all in a conversation with somebody, right? It's just, but what it does mean, a steward is someone who takes care of someone else's stuff, maybe their property, whatever it is. And that's what we are. You are a steward of everything you have because everything is God's and he loans it to you for a little while. We talked about this last two weeks in the story in Matthew 25. Jesus gave this example. He said a master goes away and so he gives some of his stuff to three servants. And two of those servants did a great job with the master's money. The other one didn't. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But they were all to be stewards. Number three, okay, for everything's God's. He's on, lo on loan. Uh, everything I have is on loan. Number three is I am commanded to give back to God. I am commanded. Now, this is more than in, in a simple suggestion. Okay, it's not, God doesn't say, well, you know, if you get a chance, or if it's convenient, or if you have enough, or if you happen to think about it, th this is serious stuff we're going to talk about here. Because nothing that I have is really mine, that it's God's, he simply asks for some of it back. Why? Why, why does God want me to give something back? Does he need it? Did he give me too much? No, God, God doesn't need what you have, but he needs you to show him how much you trust him. When you give back to God, it's an act of worship. You are honoring God. You're obeying God. You're demonstrating your love for God and for people. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. And you're being obedient. First, First Chronicles 29. Now, before we get to the verse, let me explain a little bit. In, in 1 Chronicles 29, this whole chapter, 
It's David having a conversation with God. He's talking to God because what happened was, you, you probably heard the story of King David, right? He's the one who killed Goliath. He was, a, he was one of the famous kings of Israel, the second king, and he was a man after God's own heart. Just really, just a really amazing guy. Not perfect, but he was amazing. And, and so he decided that, that he wanted to have a permanent, like a home or temple for God. Up until that point, they had a temporary, built-out-of-canvas tabernacle. Wherever they went, this tabernacle was set up, and, and it was a place where they worshipped. They would offer sacrifices. The priests and the Levites were around there. And in the very middle, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, and it was a place that God would show up, almost like in person, in spirit. That was a place where God showed up. And so David thought, you know, God's a, he's amazing, we need to build God a really nice house, <laughs> a place for him when he shows up. It's all his, and it's extravagant, and it's permanent. So David goes to God. He said, God, I want to build you a temple for you to dwell in. And God says, great idea, but you don't get to do it. You've been a warrior. You have blood on your hands, uh, and, but I appreciate the thought. But I tell you what, your son Solomon will build the temple. You gather all the ingredients, you gather all the resources for it, he gets to build. They say, that's awesome. At least somebody in the family gets to do this and we, we get to celebrate this. And so what happened was, in the, in the chapters prior to chapter 29, there in 1 Chronicles, they had an offering. David said, oh, we're going to build a temple for God to dwell in. Everybody bring all you have, as much as you can. You just bring gold and silver and all the resources that we need. And so they did. I mean, it was an amazing offering. And David even, he, he donated so much himself. And so here they have this pile of gold and silver and all the resources. And so chapter 29 now is where, here, here's the thing, David is praying to God, he's thanking God for this whole thing, but in this verse, what he's doing, he, he, even though he's talking to God, all the people are there, he knows they're listening, and so, you ever do that? You have people around you that need to, that need to hear something you're saying, but you say it to someone else, hoping they're listening? This is what David does, okay? So here's what he says. He says, but why should we be happy? When we have given you these gifts, God, they belong to you, and we have only given back what is already yours. In other words, he's saying, he's telling the people, it's great to sell it, but don't get too high on your horse. Don't, don't get so excited, because we're just giving back to God what's his. That's what God wants, and he says it to us. He acknowledged that that was just the right thing and a regular thing we should be doing. And then uh, another verse in Genesis. It's not up here on the screen. It's a story about Jacob, an example of what he did. Then Jacob made this vow. And he said, If God indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me, provide me with food and clothing, then this memorial pillar that I have set up will become a place of worship for worshiping God, and I will present to God, okay, I'm going to give back to God, a tenth of everything that he gives me. Now, the, the command had not yet been given. Jacob just did this automatically on his own out of expression of worship to God. He gave a tenth 
of what he owned back to God. So the question then for us is, well, if I'm to give back to God, what do I give and how do I do that? Right? Well, the first thing, the first thing that you, any one of us, need to give God that he doesn't have until you give is you. It's your heart. It's your life. Everything that we're talking about here this morning, that is where you start. If you haven't done that yet, that is your starting place where you get to the point of saying, God, I just, I can't do, I don't want to do life without you anymore. I want you to be at the very center of my life. I want your forgiveness. I want your presence here. That's where you start. And then after that, what does he say? He says, then I want you to give me the tithe. All throughout the Old Testament, God talks about the tithe. What is the tithe? Well, the tithe is when you give God back, you do it through the local church, you give God back the first 10% of your income or your increase. If something, you know, if, if your value increases or if it's part of your income, you give God back 10%. Okay? So what happens when I do that? Why? Why does it, now here's the thing. I mean, sometimes if you're not tithing, that 10% is like, whoa, that's a lot. Really, God? And God's, yeah. Here's the thing. It could have been 90% to say, thank you, God, it's only 10. Okay, that's the starting point. But here's what happens. When, when you do this and why you do this, in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, God was talking to the children of Israel. Okay? And he was saying, you know, you all have been doing a pretty good job at a lot of things lately. I want to commend you for that. But there's one thing that just really ticks me off. King James Version. No. Okay. It just, I'm, I'm really upset about this. He says, you guys are stealing from me. You are robbing me. And people go, robbing you? How can... How can we rob God? And he says, you are withholding the tithe. And it's very revealing when he uses this because we tend to think when we don't tithe or give back to God, we're just keeping it. But God says, no, remember, it's mine. And if you're not giving back to me what is mine, you're stealing. And they go, oh, that's pretty serious. And then he, he gives this in, in Malachi 3.10. Here's the instructions. He says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And here's what happens if you do. Here's, the, here's what happens. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you will not have enough room to take it. Take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is what God says. Some people say, well, pastor, I know, I know here's what it says, but that's Old Testament stuff. We're in the New Testament now. Two things I would say. I agree. The New Testament does not say tithe. However, there's twice where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who would very strictly follow the law, 
And they talked about tithing, and he, he commends him. He says, when it comes to tithing, good job, keep it up. But here's the other thing. Whenever Jesus addresses an issue that when he says, you know, it has been written. Obviously, the New Testament wasn't written yet, so he goes back to the Old Testament, to all the laws and the, and the commands that they were living by. You have heard that it is written and, uh, that a man shall not murder. Thou shalt not murder. And he says, here's what I say. Okay, he, He's revising it for them. That even if you hate your brother or sister, you have committed murder in your heart. Oh, that's even more serious. And then he says, it, you have heard that it has been written, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Ouch. So every time that Jesus addresses an Old Testament guideline, command, or law, he revises it to make it even more intense. He, he takes it to the next level. So, what do you think Jesus would say? Well, you have heard that you're supposed to give the first 10% of your tithe back to God. But I say, <laughs> I don't know. He does confirm the 10th, the first 10 but I believe if God was saying, he would say, you know what? That's where you start. But that's not near the ending place. Why? Because everything is God's. It's on loan. And he just wants to be honored and worshiped back by you returning a little bit of what he's given you. Okay? Number four is this. First, fourth principle is that I cannot outgive God. I can't outgive him. You may think, well... You know, I give a lot. If we're talking about this God blessing me back for giving, I've given a lot. I give a lot to people. I give a lot to organizations and causes. I give a lot to the church. Do you think God can really cover that? Well, let me tell you this, two things. Number one, God has way more than you do, and God is way more generous than you are. So the answer is yes, he can cover it. He can take, definitely take care of it. Luke, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, give and you will receive. Now it's talking about every area of life. Okay, we can apply this to everything. Given you will receive, your gift will return to you in full. And here's what it looks like. It is pressed down. It is shaken together. And to make room for more, it is running over and it is poured into your lap because the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. We can go all sorts of places with this verse, but here's the bottom line. It reveals God's attitude to your generosity. You know, what, you know what God says? He says, when you're generous, I get so excited. Because I know that when you're generous, you are preparing yourself to receive more. And I'm going to give you so much more than what you could imagine. Now, I'm just not talking about money. God isn't to put some money in the bank and you get a whole ton more back. I'm talking about everything in life. The more generous you are, the more generous he is, and he's got way more than you do. So get ready. Brace yourself for this. And uh, he says in Luke 19, he was telling a story similar to the one we had in Matthew 25. 
Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, okay, that's a steward, good steward, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, you, do, you just do nothing with it. Even what little they have will be what? Finish those two words. Taken away. You're done with this stuff. So we don't give to get more. We give to bless others and obey God knowing that God blesses our generosity. Number five, fifth principle, is that God blesses me when I bless others. God blesses me when I bless others. Now, when you bless others, but that means you give, you help, you minister to, you help take care of people's needs, whatever it is. You encourage. It can be a lot of different things to bless others. But when you do, your blessing goes way beyond what they receive. So when you bless other people, it, it, first of all, it shows your love for them. It shows your love for God. Your blessing other people is an act of obedience to God because God says we are too, and you do. So there's this, uh, you, you're obeying God, but also what it does, it opens the door for more blessings for you. Here's what it says. Paul, Paul is writing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about generosity giving examples, telling them how to do it, all this. And here's what he says in chapter 9, verse 7 to 9. You must each decide in your heart, heart how much to give. I would say that is a tagline for our whole series. You must decide in your heart what you are to give in helping us to reach our goal of building our, new, uh, our project. Then he says, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We, there will be zero pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, a cheerful giver. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. I just thought about that this week. Your good deeds will be remembered forever. Well, where is forever for Christians? In heaven. You mean in heaven? They're going to talk about my generosity? Could be. That may be part of the rewards we get when we go to heaven. But this whole thing we're talking about is, I like to call this the open hand principle what does that mean it means that you hold everything in your possession with an open hand remember it's all god's and it's on loan right everybody have that say yes awesome good and so you hold it like this and what happens is when you hold everything that god has entrusted to you with an open hand you know what can happen two things god can take it from your hand you can allow it to go out of your hand, and what does it do? It helps other people. It blesses other people. It's obedience to God. But you know what else happens? Your hand now is in a position to receive more. When God sees an empty, open hand, you go, oh, that's awesome. Here, take some more. But what if we do this? 
What if you say, well, no, no, my stuff is my stuff. I want to hang on to my stuff. You can't have my stuff. I want it. Well, then that's all you got. What is inside of your hands is all you have, and that's all you're going to get. But the minute you open those hands and you say, God, okay, I know it's all yours, so, but I make it all available for you to use. And you begin to allow it to go out and to bless others and to help others, to build the kingdom. And pretty soon you're going to find, wow, there's more there this time than there ever was before. And your hands are going to get bigger. Why? Because you need to have bigger hands to allow bigger things to go through them. But the minute your fingers start shutting is the minute that the flow of blessing begins to dry up. Open hand, you bless others, God blesses you. That's how he wants us to live our lives consistently. And then number six is that my generosity demonstrates my love for God. My love for God. See, not only does generosity demonstrate obedience, you're obeying God when you give. But it also proves that you love God and that you love other people. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, along with 9, is a, is a whole chapter on generosity. Paul is commending the church. He says, you guys do a great job. There's, there's one of the churches in there. He says, and they gave more than what they could. You ever do that? Maybe commit to giving more than what you, that there's there. That may be for some of us in this campaign. God may say to you, you know what? You, uh, here's the number I want you to commit to over three years. And you say, well, God, I don't have it. I, how can I commit to something? He says, I do. The minute you commit, the minute it, it will eventually be there. I'll, I'll talk about that next week a little bit. But here's what happens. In, uh, he, he says to the church in uh, chapter 8, verse 7, starting verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways, you excel in your faith. You're great with that. Gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from and for us. In other words, you guys are doing a great job. You're, you're on fire. Keep it going. But then he says this. I want you to excel also. Now, here's one thing they weren't doing very well. He want, I want you to excel, excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it to the eagerness of the other churches. Some of the other churches, they were like, Paul, please come. We, we want to give. Please give us the opportunity to give. That's how eager they were. And then so to show them your love. And prove to all the other churches that our boasting about you is justified. In other words, when you truly love someone, another person, or God himself, an automatic response is that you like to give. That, that's, matter of fact, that's one of the most powerful expressions of love that any of us can have. Is, is generosity to give what we have to bless someone else. Number seven, God always rewards my obedience. 
So generosity and giving is an expression of love, but also obedience. Now, here's the thing. This works in all areas, but God is not a dictator. God does not say to us, I want you to obey me. And we say, why? Because I said so. God's not like we as parents are. Okay? It really works for a little while until they grow up. Then they don't go for that anymore, right? But that's not God. That's not what, here, here's what God does. See, God created you. He created you to love you, and he loves you deeply, more than you can ever imagine. And then he has a plan. I mean, the Bible tells us that even before you were born, you were conceived, God had a plan for your life. He had a purpose for you. He, he, had, you, your, he had you thought about and, and thought out. And then what he does because he has designed you specifically for something in life, then he instructs you on how to get there. He gives you a road map on how to get to where he wants you to go and to become who he wants you to be and to do what he wants you to do. That's what the Bible is. It's an instruction book from God to you that says, Here, if you follow this and do your very best, you will be at an amazing place in life. And you will be at the very center of my will. Here's the thing. I've learned this. You can write this down in your notes somewhere if you want. When we do what God says, life goes so much better. You can take that one to the bank. I don't know if they'll take it, but you, you can... Okay, that is a real thing. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, same chapter on generosity. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. One of the most powerful commitments or the powerful examples of your commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ is your generosity. I was thinking about this the other day, a while back, because somebody said one time, they said to me, well, I guess I'm just a stingy Christian. And I thought about it, it says, I thought, there's no such thing. It's an oxymoron. I mean, you can be a stingy religious person, but if you truly are a Christian, if you truly are following Jesus Christ with all your heart, you love God and you love people and you're doing your best in what Jesus tells us to do, you're going to be generous. That is a characteristic of a follower of Christ, generosity. So for you to not be generous means you're being disobedient. Ouch, did I say that? Yeah. Let's go to number eight, quick. Here's what it says. Where God guides, he provides. This is a big one. Because in your life and in the next couple months, each of you are going to make a big decision. Every decision you make, you need to realize that if God is asking you to make that decision, that he's already begun the process of providing for everything to come to place for that decision to be a good one. 
when, God, when you're in tune with God and you begin to hear Him speak to you, you begin to hear God's voice and you begin to hear His call on your life and He calls you to do something and He guides you toward something, just know this, He's already begun the process of provision. I love what it says in Psalm 25. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. And here it says, all day long I put my hope in you. What does all day long mean? (laughs) Every moment of every day for the rest of my life. I put my hope in God. I don't put my hope in numbers. I don't put my hope in my bank account. I don't put my hope in any other person. God, I put my hope in you. So when we begin to hear God's voice and we begin to get some clarity as to what he wants me to do, where he wants me to go, and the step of faith that he's requiring that I take. Here's what happens for us. We often begin to hesitate if things don't immediately begin to work out. Are you following me? Because so many of us, our test that we give God is, well, God, if this is your will then everything is going to line up and everything's going to be wonderful to make it really easy for me. But what happens is, when things don't line up, we begin to doubt that it's God because it begins to require more of me than I ever bargained for. And we're like, God, I didn't sign up for this. And God's like, well, if you're following me, you did. And we say, God, I'll follow you, and I'll do what what you say, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Can I tell you something? Listen very, very carefully. If you follow Jesus Christ, it requires sacrifice on your part. Jesus said it multiple times. If you, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my, one of my disciples, you will, you have to, you must take up your cross. How often? Daily. Every day. You need to deny yourself and then follow me. Sometimes, here's what happens. Sometimes, most of the time, the path, the provision, and what, what we get our confirmation of doing what God wants us to do doesn't happen until after we make the decision. If you're waiting for everything to line up for you to make a decision to follow Jesus, you're, you're going to be sitting still for a long time. I guarantee it. Let me give you an example. Years ago, 15, 16, 17 years ago when we bought this property, 
We were meeting in a school gymnasium. Now, this whole story I shared in Vision Sunday on October 31st. I encourage you to go back on our website and watch that, that sermon. You need it for the foundation for this whole series we're doing. But we bought this property here when we had $100,000 in our bank account for, for building fund. And this cost us $3 million. <laughs> and we said... Okay, we signed on the dotted line because we believe God wanted us to do it. Now, did that seem to make a lot of sense at the time? Not really. There were some people that were scared to death. But the wild card was this. We had a piece of property out on Fruitville Road that we had paid $148,000 for. And we had that in the back of our mind, but it wasn't $3 million worth. But after we signed the contract, within weeks, God turned that $148,000 into $2,050,000. Now, that's cool, huh? Here's the thing. We would have never realized that had we not moved forward with the signing of the contract before that. We wouldn't have needed to. There, it wasn't necessary. And here's the thing. For many of us, we never experience things like that in life. We never, we never experience like God's amazing miracles and his blessings because we never put ourselves in a position where we have to have them. Because we've always figured everything out on our own. Well, if this lines up, this lines up, this lines up, and this lines up, then good, we're good to go. We're not used to sacrificing. We're not used to risking. But I tell you what, in this in this series, in the next two months, as we go through this campaign, even for us as leaders, we're having to make decisions that may not make sense on paper. It may not make sense here, but we believe 100% that this is exactly what God wants us to do right now. We're going to do it, and we're going to do this together. We're going to see some amazing things happen as a result of that. So oftentimes, your provision comes after you move into the unknown, after you sacrifice, after you, being, you begin moving with what God has you to do. Okay? Philippians 4.19, last verse. We'll wrap it up with this verse. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ. I like at the very end, God provides for you out of what he has already given. So here's, here's my encouragement to all of you for everything. All the decisions you make in life for your family, for your finances, whatever it is. Just know this. When God guides you and he leads you and he calls you to make a decision, he already has the provision waiting for you. He's not having to scramble to put it all together. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. What are we going to do now? He's already planning the blessing, the provision, and everything necessary for you to be successful in what he's called you to do. You know, one of the other things we talked about, tithing. I just want you to know, we are 100% committed, even as a church, to tithe. Two things. After we had sold the property for that, two million dollars God laid it on a bunch of our hearts at the same time that 
God said, I want you to tithe on your increase that you just got. Over the next couple years, I mean, there was nothing more fun than giving away to other churches and ministries $187,000. That was so cool. You know what God reminded me in the middle of that? You, you had a good time giving away, quote, the church's money. Who owned the church's money? God. He said, who owns your money? Me. You should have the same attitude in being generous with your money as you were with the, quote, church's money. I said, ouch. But how true is that? I believe that's one of the reasons God has blessed Abundant Life so generously in our finances is because we have been committed. The other thing is, ever since the very beginning of Abundant Life Church, we have given between 13 and 18% of the general fund giving to missions every year. I mean, we're up to $140,000, $160,000 a year. goes right from your giving into the general fund out to the mission field, wherever that's at, locally and around the world. So, folks, we're practicing what we preach as much as we can. And we've seen God come through. So everything I've told you today, it comes from experience. Sometimes I've had to learn the hard way. But we're committed to this. Because we believe that when God calls us to do something, he provides us what we need. He does it for us as a church. He does it for you as a family. He does it for each one of us as individuals.